So in my mind, when I was reading about today's unnamed woman, I imagined that scene. Okay, now stay with me. It's in the 2019 Disney live action adaptation of the animated classic Aladdin, where Prince Ali Ababa, I love saying that, he was Aladdin's alter ego and the wish he made. He comes in to meet Jasmine with the most lavish, over-the-top, excessive, and wonderful entourage. I would kind of like to think that today's unnamed woman had access to this excess and that her entry into the royal courts of King Solomon was this fantastic. Welcome to another episode of Unnamed Women of the Old Testament, a special bonus series from the Sunday on Monday podcast brought to you by LDS Living and Deseret Bookshelf Plus. The Sunday on Monday podcast is a Come Follow Me podcast where we take the Come Follow Me lesson for the week and we really dig into the scriptures together. So if you want to know more information about this podcast, click in the link in our description or go to LDS Living slash Sunday on Monday and sign up for a free 30-day trial of Deseret Bookshelf Plus. I promise you won't regret it. Okay, now here's my favorite thing about the podcast and this bonus series is that I get to invite two of my friends to join me and we bring our knowledge and our feelings and our experiences and our humor to the table. It is so much fun and it's so great. So today, I'm super excited to introduce you to Mandy Green, who she's a regular. You've heard her before. She is my Hebrew teacher. And then we have Taylor Ricks. And so we're excited because Taylor is the author of the book, Everyday Disciples, Lessons Learned from Unnamed Scripture Heroes. So how can we not have Taylor on, right, Mandy? Absolutely. Unnamed Scripture Heroes right in line. Oh my gosh. So when I met Taylor, I was at a book signing of hers and I said, all right, I got to have you on. And this was like clear at the very beginning of the year, but I knew immediately I'm like, and we're going to have her on for Queen of Sheba. I'm so excited. How are you doing, Taylor? Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. The unnamed people are my people. So I'm excited to dig in. It's going to be fun. Tell us a little bit about yourself for our listeners who don't know you. I am a mom of four kids, ages 11 to seven. So they're all really close in age. And I actually work for the church in the special projects department, which is super special and secret. (laughs) Yes, it's so fun. We build temples. So it's a lot of fun. I really have enjoyed doing that. And so mostly just working, taking care of my kids. And I just love diving into the scriptures and sharing what I know about the scriptures and what I'm learning. And Mandy, she's our traveler. She does tours. Where are you going to next? What's your next tour coming up? The fall is going to be fantastic. I'm going to Egypt in October and then Israel and Jordan in November. So Middle East, Middle East, the best of the Middle East, basically. Well, if you want to know more information about my guests or find their products, just Google them. Taylor Ricks and Mandela Green. Is it Mandela Green or Mandy Green? Mandy Green. My oh yeah, it's Mandy B. Green. Mandy B. Green. That's yeah, right. Okay. Like very Kermit-esque. <laughs> Mandy Perfect. B. Green. She does love Kermit the Frog, by the I way. Do. Everybody. He was my first love. <laughs> he was. <laughs> okay, ladies. So let's dive into this. Did you imagine the same thing as I did when it came to this unnamed woman? Yeah, I thought it was yeah. so cool though that it was her. I mean, think about your time and place. Think about the might of Solomon. Everybody's heard about Solomon. Everyone's so in awe of him. And she's, I mean, she's just a woman. And so she's like, okay, we're going to blow this out of the water. I mean, like I can smell it. I can see it. I could taste it. I can feel it. And she comes in with this retinue. And that's just the show that she has this incredible mind. That to me is like even better. 
Well, let's find out who she is and read what you're talking about. Okay. Let's go to First Kings chapter 10. Taylor, will you read for us verses one and two? And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him all that was in her heart. Okay, there's our woman. Highlight her name. Who are we talking about today, ladies? We have Sheba. Okay, now this makes me laugh because have you ever used the phrase, well, who does she think she is? The queen of Sheba? (laughs) (laughs) Because she was so wealthy. It was a reference to her luxury and wealth for people who weren't that luxurious or wealthy. But Mandy, I like how you started out by telling us not only is she matching him in luxury and wealth, but she's matching him in wit. In verse one, she asked him, proved him with hard questions. And so today we get to talk about this woman and her wit and her brilliance, the role that she played in the life of King Solomon, which is going to be so interesting to us, especially why her her story matters because it's super short. It's only 13 verses. That's it. That's all we get of her. Kind of. I'm going to tease you with that a little bit because there might be a little bit more (laughs) about her. So we've set up a little bit of Queen of Sheba. So let's dive into some more practical facts. Like, first of all, where is she from? What do we know? I think Southern Arabia. I think she's kind of from Egypt, South Africa area, Mm -hmm. a little Southern. Yes, you are both right. So according to scholarship, we don't really know 100% sure where she's from. Some believe that she was from Saudi Arabia and others believe that she came from Africa. There's actually a cool Ethiopian tradition where the leaders of Ethiopia believe that they are descendants from a son that was born to the Queen of Sheba and Solomon, which we're going to get to later today. I know, it's kind of cool. Okay, now we're going to go into chapter 10, verse 1, because I thought this was interesting, where it talks about how they're going to, she's going to prove him with hard questions. Let's talk a little bit about that. Hugh Nibley actually cites Queen of Sheba in this quote, he says, the typical exchange of insults before a battle is a common literary device that is required in epic literature. And he gives the Queen of Sheba as an example. He believes that the queen is coming to Solomon sort of like as a test. Should I fight this man? Is this going to be a friend or a foe? So she comes to him with some pretty heavy questions and she wants answers and she wants to see how he's going to respond. So I thought that was really interesting. Tell me a little bit more about what your thoughts were with her hard questions. Well, I think she's obviously brilliant and well-trained. I think the hard questions may have been of, and this is totally Mandy Midrash, right? Midrash is just my take on a verse. But I think she came to him with some very hard spiritual questions. I would think that these questions that plague all of us, who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Do I truly die? What is the nature of the soul? All these things I long for. It says in a few verses later, what is it? Oh, at the end of verse two, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. I love conversations like this. I mean, this is like the very first Darcy Elizabeth moment in the Bible (laughs) and maybe in some ways, but she decided to disclose some of the things that were in her own heart. And much like all of us who have these deep questions and when we meet a missionary or if you go to hear a talk or a song comes on and heaven answers you, that's an epic moment. 
And I would imagine this very long conversation actually becomes quite intimate. And she starts to really talk to him as an equal, which I don't think she gets. And I don't think he gets necessarily so much, right? They kind Mm -hmm. of are on a different level. And so to find someone who is your mental, emotional equal, and to really have that conversation must have been quite spectacular. I like that she came with her questions. I think a few verses down, it kind of talks about how she had heard about him. And instead of just going with what she had heard, she came to ask and was prepared to do that. And I think that sometimes when we have hard questions, like our wall is up, we don't know what the answer is going to be. We've kind of heard different things from different people. And so you can kind of see that maybe that she comes with a tough exterior. And then I like that you were saying, Mandy, that eventually she starts sharing what was in her heart. And I think that's a very vulnerable thing to do. And so I just like that she was willing to ask questions. I think we live in a world where sometimes we shy away from doing that. But she came to the source to ask questions about what she had seen and heard about him and gave him a chance to answer, which I think is a big deal. So Taylor, I love that you just said she was coming to the source to ask the questions because in Josephus, his writing state, she really did do that. She was said, I'm going to go and find out for myself because I've heard wonderful, crazy things about this King Solomon, but I need to know. And verse three says, and Solomon told her all her questions. Josephus says that Solomon answered her so fast and so quickly that she was astonished. We should just do a whole movie about this exchange. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that the defenses were down. Solomon could have easily been guarded or dismissive or offended that she would come to him with questions. I love that that paints Solomon. He really is wise. Like, let's listen to a woman. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I would imagine, like I said, she was pretty impressive. I think she knocked his socks off. Well, I was just going to ask you this question. Why do you think these three verses are so important to the overall narrative? I think what Taylor said about this vulnerability, and I'm not saying we walk around vulnerable all the time. Obviously, you need to be with someone who is in that same sacred space as you. And I believe this is sacred space. They really are discussing the things of the soul, but that There's this beautiful vulnerability on both sides to take off the mask, to take down the facade. And there's this huge facade going on. I mean, I don't know how many people are there or if it becomes, you know, just the two of them, but he told her everything as well. He didn't hold back information. He didn't pull punches with her. He didn't say, I'm Solomon and I'm a dude. So sit tight, little lady. I get the impression that he was just as open and vulnerable. And as they were able to, to freely converse, they both were able to probably unload a lot of things that are on the soul of a king and a queen. Have either of you had an experience where you came to someone with hard questions? I had a bishop. And I was the primary president at the time and something happened and I did not agree with it. I was very upset. And so I didn't know what to do with it because I'm not confrontational. And so I went to the stake primary president and said, what should I do? Fully expecting that this woman would say, you need to let it go. It's not a big deal. 
And she's older. She is this incredible woman who I love. She has served her whole life and they called her as state primary president and well into her 60s, I believe. And she said to me, you need to go talk to your bishop. He needs to know your concerns. And I was like, that was not what I wanted to hear. I don't like this. So I made an appointment with my bishop. I sat down and I proved him with hard questions. And he just listened. And then he apologized. And then he explained his reasoning for why he did what he did. And it was the greatest experience because he didn't, he, when he gave the reasons for explaining why he did what he did, it wasn't his way of saying, well, here's why I'm right. He was just like, here's, here's why it happened the way it did. And he answered my hard question. And I was like, all right, I understand mm-hmm. it. And we came to this beautiful, it was just a great moment for me to have that experience where a leader did listen and he empathized and he apologized. And he wasn't angry at all. He was such a good bishop. I love that man. So mine, mine's, mine's kind of like this, super, super impressed. And I had hard questions. Well, and I like, as you were talking, I thought about being the person, I feel like I've been on the receiving end of hard questions, maybe more often than having to go prove someone. Oh, okay. <laughs> just, you know, and I think that it just reminded me of the importance of humility in those circumstances like that took a strong bishop it takes a strong solomon (laughs) to be able to receive those hard questions and to hear i think we have to sometimes see past like the way they're presented and see the person's heart and their intention behind it why they're coming to us with those things and and how they're coming to us um to respond in a helpful way so i think both are important and and both stand out to me in this story of the bravery to go forward to share them and then the bravery to receive them and to follow the spirit to answer. And I also think that this story kind of speaks a little bit to what the queen of Sheba's maybe, I don't know, her past life might've like before this day was, and I always try to imagine that. And I'm like, she must've had experiences that gave her the courage to go with hard questions. And Mm -hmm. I don't think this was the first time she had to come and, and do something like that. Just a guess. Obviously, I'm just making it up. But I just feel like that would be hard for your first time to come prove someone with hard questions would be another leader. So I just feel like she probably has a really cool story, (laughs) backstory of things she's experienced. Oh, I think you're right. And I really appreciate your use of the word bravery in that context. That was fantastic, Taylor. Thank you. Okay, so let's jump back into 1 Kings chapter 10. And verses 4 through 7 then is the Queen of Sheba seeing all of Solomon's goodness, all of his riches, everything he has, everything he owns. So she's coming off the heels of these hard questions and having a good experience. Then she sees his wealth. And we just love the end of verse 5. Mandy, what does it say about her at the end of verse 5? That there was no more spirit in her. (laughs) Yeah, what does that mean to us? (laughs) She didn't die. (laughs) I translate that as it took her breath away. Literally and mentally, it's just like, okay, right? Like, he's the real deal. He is this guy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, Ruach in Hebrew is that breath, right? Mm -hmm. The breath of life, the spirit. I get the sense it's really transformed her. Maybe like you said, Taylor, she's, she's a woman. She's a leader. She may have had to be a little more feisty and aggressive in maintaining her throne and managing her court and all these different things. And when someone would treat her with 
this type of respect and listening and understanding and courage. And I would imagine he returned some hard questions to her as well in answer to her questions. It really was just kind of like, wow, you are actually for real. I mean, we know of other stories of Solomon where he truly, truly has this capacity to see women, to revere them, to value them, to hear them and listen to them. I mean, if you're a leader and you're a man, there's eight sermons right here about how you really see the women that that you work with. And if a woman comes at you with a hard question, it's something that's in her heart, more than likely. She's probably not just trying to pick a fight. So that there's spirit, that there's wisdom. I mean, there's this, there's this beautiful alchemy of a lot of elements here beyond just like she came with the stuff and she saw him. She's like, wow, he's really cool. That'd be like a really superficial Instagram story. <laughs> totally. Well, <laughs> this idea that the spirit left her, I thought was interesting is that a couple of scholars have translated that as she became speechless, which juxtaposes her coming at him with so many questions and now she has nothing to say. She's just like, I think that's really cool to be without any words. So as a result, then, like you said, Mandy, she recognizes his wisdom, but then we have verses eight and nine. These are so fabulous. Taylor, will you read eight and nine for us? Happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighted in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore, made he thee king to do judgment and justice. Look at those two verses again, eight and nine. What are those verses telling us about her and her heart and her belief system? Well, I think to me, it's like she came with these hard questions. She asked them. She listened and then she looked around to observe and saw kind of the fruits of what he was saying being played out. Like, well, your people are happy. Your servants are happy. This must be a blessed land. (laughs) This God you've taught me about must really exist and must care about his people to put you as a leader over them. That's kind of what stands out to me is that she's like looking around and you can kind of see it. I think We talk about like seeing the light in people's eyes that have the gospel or you go into a home that you know that is striving to do what's right and you can see and feel it. And I feel like that's what's going on with her here is she's like, you're not just talking. I can see and feel that you're practicing what you preach. That is such a great examination of those two verses. You're totally right. What is that saying? Live a life in such a way that people who don't know Christ, but know you will want to know Christ because they know you. That's kind of what we have going on there. I think she kind of is intrigued, like, huh, tell me more. She's acknowledging this Lord, this God who loves Israel. Well, I love her comment. Everybody's so happy here. Everybody's prospering. It isn't just you. Like I imagine she was seeing it go all the way down, all the way through. She's like, this, this doesn't just happen. There's a divinity about what Solomon's doing and about how the way he runs his kingdom and his people are partakers of this divine love that is in abundance. Imagine feeling that, you know, I can think of the times in my life where I felt this true spiritual abundance and it does make you feel awe and it makes you say, wow, what, 
is going on here? How do we get here? I love that his bounty and that wisdom and that blessedness goes all the way through, which tells you something about Solomon as well. It's, as Joseph Smith said, someone who has the gospel isn't content just to hold it to themselves, totally paraphrasing, but to share it. And she's seeing it everywhere. It's not just him. Well, and I like how you said the word bounty and what his bounty was. In verse five, it describes all of his stuff, everything he has, the food at his table, his servants, his ministers, his cupbearers. But at the end, it says, and his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord. And that is specifically talking about the steps that go up to the temple he had built. But that word ascent is unique because he was also giving offerings to the Lord at the temple. And she was witnessing this this spiritual bounty that you said, Mandy. So it is physical bounty, it's spiritual bounty, and everybody's benefiting from that. Well, and I love that. Like when she sees him perform as the high priest. Yeah. I mean, game, set, match. That's like the last domino for her. It's like, who is this guy? I think I'm in love with him. (laughs) Well, and that is when it says there was no more spirit in her. Yeah. Yeah. It's right after the time. It wasn't the other things. Yeah. It was the spiritual bounty. Ooh, that is so awesome, you two. So good, so good. And so then as a result of her seeing this happiness and this goodness, what does she do in verses 10, 11, and 12? This is so fascinating to me. She's just like, here, take it all. <laughs> yeah, right? What does she give him? Gold and spices and precious stones and mug trees. I don't know how to say it. All these awesome and harps and all the things that she brought with her. <laughs> like I think of it, all these things that she brought is like to show her power and wisdom and her like kind of her wall of defense mm-hmm. with things. And then as she learned more, it's like the things didn't matter anymore and saw that maybe he could do greater things with it and just yes. freely gave, just gave of it. I don't, I don't know if that was the plan. <laughs> You know, I think it came, she brought it to show how amazing she was. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. Kind of give her some courage on her back, you know? And you wonder if she just came with it thinking, if he is who he is, I might give him a gift. But he is beyond what she imagined. So I'm giving him everything. <laughs> so yeah. much. Yeah. I think she may have thought about going home or, I don't know, negotiating or bargaining or... Mm-hmm. No, she just literally just like, no defenses. Here's everything. I love this last line of verse 12. There came no such almug trees, nor were seen unto this day, right? Makes me say, what are these trees? And remember that the tree was part of the Temple of Solomon. And she really wants to be part of this heavenly thing. I think those trees are very critical to temple building, temple worship. And I think here's all your gold. Here's the things to sing the Psalms, right? The temple text is a Psalm. Here's harps, here's gold, here's all these things. And it seems like most of those gifts actually have to do with the temple, maybe incense, spices. Dude, your temple is really going to rock now. No, that's totally Mandy. (laughs) Cut that out. (laughs) No, but Mandy in verse 12, it does say pillars for the house of the Lord. I think you're right. I think she's giving this knowing what this temple is. She's heard about the temple. She's heard about its greatness. Everybody heard about it. Nephi refers to the temple of Solomon saying, well, we're we're building a temple kind of like his, but not as amazing, 
not as incredible. So there was fame abroad for his temple. And she offers these things that would fit very well into this temple. So I love that insight. I think that's great. I mentioned I work for the church in the temple building department. And so, of course, we hire a lot of people that aren't members, but we always say a prayer before every meeting, no matter what anyone's religious belief are. And they'll say their prayer in the way that speaks to them and we say ours. But it's interesting to see how as we do that and work through things like people do what she did and like bring their best and bring their offering and they rise to the occasion of what we're calling and asking them to do, even if they didn't understand our beliefs or religion before. And it's been really fun and interesting to watch that, to see people feel called to that calling, even if they don't quite understand it. And she understands it more maybe than some, but she's still new in learning about it and still is willing to give so much. And it's fun to see that even today. So I have a cool story, actually. My kind of niece-in-law, she, her grandfather was very wealthy in Hawaii and he had this, this amazing glass table built and the bottom is like a gold wave. When they built the temple in Hawaii, he donated that table to the celestial room. And to this day, if you go into the celestial room in the Laie temple, there is her grandfather's tribute to the work as a gift, as a donation from his heart to add beauty and grace to that space. This is cool. I've loved this connection to the temple and that a woman of a different faith would have added to his beauty to the Lord's beauty, not Solomon's, but to God's beauty. That's a testament for her as a woman too, to recognize that. And how amazing in here when it talks about the gold that she brought in verse 10, where it says that she gave the king 120 talents of gold. Now there is some debate on the word talents and what exactly it meant, but some scholarship thinks it was well into the millions, millions of dollars that she gave to him for his temple and his house and his worship. That was pretty cool. Okay, so then after she offers all these offerings, Solomon does something in verse 13. Mandy, read verse 13 for us. And King Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire whatsoever she asked, beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. Thank you. And so how interesting that he gives her everything of all her desire, whatever she asked. Don't you want to know? What would she want? She just gave away so much. I I think that is a non-tangible thing because the next line says his bounty. I think they became very close. Well, I think it was interesting because I read, according to the Jewish Women's Archive, which is a very solid source, there is a belief that that phrase right there is referring to a son. And that is where we get the connection to the Ethiopian legend. And so she would have given birth to a son and it wouldn't have been outside of the realm of possibility with King Solomon because he had so many wives. We've studied that. We know that. And so there is some idea that she, she did become a wife in a way and that they had a son and his name would have been Menelik the first, which I think is so crazy. Now there is also some other verses of scripture that support that it could have been that way and that their relationship went beyond just two people who met, a king and a queen who had hard questions. And so we're going to cross-reference this story with the Song of Solomon. 
or in Hebrew, it's actually called the Song of Songs. And that's important for us to recognize because it is like a superlative in Hebrew. When you have two words like that, Song of Songs, it's teaching us it's the song of all songs. And so there is a belief that this poem in chapter one was written by the Queen of Sheba, and she's referencing herself in verses five and six. Taylor, will you read verses five and six, please? I am black but comely, O you daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. Look not upon me, because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. There's a lot of cool stuff to unpack in those verses. And then going back to maybe what her childhood was like, wasn't that interesting that she was a worker, but now she doesn't have to work anymore in her own vineyard because she's super rich. <laughs> she's got <Yeah>. servants. <laughs> <laughs> so this Song of Solomon, we wanted to talk a little bit about this because according to 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32, and you can just write that anywhere on your page, it references that Solomon composed over 1,005 songs. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that this could be his because he wrote songs and this would be the song of all his songs. Now, we so much appreciate that Professor Dana M. Pike at BYU and David Rolf Seeley have encouraged a study of this book. They also support the prophet Joseph Smith who indicated that the Song of Solomon is not an inspired book. And that's in the introduction of, to the Song of Solomon in the Joseph Smith translation and the Song of Solomon does not appear in the Joseph Smith translation. And his statement dates back to 1832. Well, that is perfectly correct, Tammy. And I really recommend reading Dana Pike's article, reading the Song of Solomon as a Latter-day Saint. Now, what's interesting is that Joseph Smith will actually quote lines from the Song of Songs in the Doctrine and Covenants. So it actually is canonized in LDS literature in Doctrine and Covenants 109.73 when the Kirtland Temple is dedicated and verses 73 and 74 says that thy church may come forth out of the wilderness of darkness and shine forth and this is where you're going to see exactly Song of Solomon fair as the moon clear as the sun and terrible as an army with banners and be adorned as the bride for that day when thou shalt unveil the heavens and cause the mountains to flow down at thy presence and the valleys to be exalted. Uh, there are two other times it's used in the Doctrine and Covenants. Joseph Smith also uses it in a personal letter in 1843. And in a, one of his journals, he also refers to God as, quote, he who is altogether lovely which can be referenced to the Song of Songs 15, 16. One of the things that scholars believe is that the Song of Solomon could be an allegory about the relationship between Christ and his people, where Christ is the bridegroom or the husband, and we are his bride. There are several references throughout. I mean, you can read about this in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5. It's in Jeremiah. It's in Matthew. It's in Revelation. It's in 3 Nephite. It was a common metaphor that people could understand because they understood how connected and marriage you were supposed to be. And then to connect this back to Christ, to be able to go to him and to our father in heaven and to commune with them all that is in our heart. That's the level of, 
That's what we want. That is our goal is to be able to go to them with hard questions. That's the ultimate person that we need to talk to and not be afraid to go to them with hard questions, to commune with them all that was in our heart. And then for the heavenly father in verse three, when Solomon says, told her all her questions or answered all of her questions quickly, according to Josephus. There are times when we wait for answers, but my experience is heavenly father answers pretty darn quick for me. What about you, Taylor? I think that to me, this whole thing really reminds me that there are places where words fail us. And I love words, like writing is my thing. (laughs) And that's how I express myself, you know, the best and my thoughts and things. But I think that this is a reminder to me that the words can only take us so far. And then there is a deeper required connection, whether it's in our most sacred relationship with our spouses or with our heavenly father, where there's just a point where it's like our spirits and souls have to connect on a deeper level where words just can't keep carrying us. And that's what stands out to me in this is that deeper, stronger connection is so sacred and so necessary and really can only occur in those relationships, a spouse relationship and a relationship with our heavenly father and our savior. Absolutely. And to be like the queen, I'm imagining myself now in this story where I'm so overwhelmed with all of God's goodness and his temple that I'm just like, everyone's happy. Happy are the people that follow God and Christ. And that I just want to give him my everything because of the happiness that I felt. I will give him, you bet, if I had it, I'm going to give him 200 talents of of gold. Like, I can't believe how blessed my people are and my family. Let me give you everything. And then for the Lord to turn around and say, well, what do you want? I'll give you anything you ask for. Like, there's so many cool levels to this story. Well, and why, why would scripture and why would the Lord pose himself as a bridegroom? And use the allegory of the bridegroom and a bride. That should tell you everything about the type of relationship that he desires with you. And at one minute is the same thing with with him on a spiritual level. At one minute to be tied into him, to be at one. That is the most accurate description of at one minute I've ever heard. That is the reason for this marriage relationship that the Lord has with us. We are atonement at one meant. Oh, Mandy, that was perfect. I guess I want to end with one last question then for both of you, especially you, Taylor, because this is your thing, unnamed women. So why do you think unnamed characters like the Queen of Sheba matter in the Old Testament? Why does her story matter? To me, her story matters because it's a reminder of what we can go forward and do and what we can gain from being brave enough to to face the hard questions, to do the hard things, to go out there and ask what needs to be asked. She got a lot more out of the bargain than I think she expected. (laughs) I think she was going, you know, like we've talked about maybe with her guard up and then she got not only this testimony of, of the gospel and Christ and seeing the temple and everything, but this like deep human connection. And I think it just stands out to me of what we can gain from well-placed vulnerability and being willing to open up in the right place to the right people with the right questions and receive through the spirit and the confirmation that we get what, what we learn in that. And she just makes me want to kind of go forward a little more boldly um, and willing to, to receive all the goodness that Heavenly Father wants to offer through other people. I love how you said well-placed vulnerability. 
I wrote that down. Brilliant. Yeah, right. Next oh, book. Oh, so brilliant. <laughs> yes. Oh, totally. Well-placed <laughs> vulnerability. That is an awesome title. Yes. Oh, that'd be good. fun. <laughs> okay. What about you, Mandy? I love her audacity. Notice how many times in this she will ask. She will pose the question. She will ask in verse 13, Solomon gave her her desire. She asked for what she wanted. And I would imagine that was not a slight request. And I just think of like her beauty in asking questions and getting and and really like, like you said, really plumbing these depths, really asking what's really, really, truly in her heart, exposing herself with this well-placed vulnerability at a proper time and place and person. Our whole faith is based on ask and receive. I think that's a huge precedent. And I think she is this stellar female example of the beauty of asking. Yes. And of receiving things that are asked in the right spirit. God will give liberally and the Elohim, I should say, will grant liberally and upbraid not. And we see that verse in James perfectly played out in her story here. Ah. So good, you two. I love it. What a great discussion of the Queen of Sheba. Thank you for everything you brought today. I've loved this story because all week I have been thinking about that question like, yeah, why is it? They could have so easily omitted these 13 verses and it wouldn't have made a difference in King Solomon's story. We would have neither been here nor there. But now after studying it, oh, I can see the wisdom 100% because Solomon in all of his wisdom, I feel like personifies our heavenly parents. And going to them with this, Taylor, I love that phrase again, well-placed vulnerability. That is what it is. When we get on our knees and ask, oh, never is there a more vulnerable moment for any of us. And to be brave enough to do that. So my gosh, there's so many good things in this story. So thank you. I love you both. This was such a great discussion. I'm curious, what is, what is your thing? What did you learn about her that really changed your perspective? Oh, well, definitely. For me, it was... Connecting it to the Song of Solomon, because I do really like the Song of Songs. I think that's important for us to recognize. But I would have to say for me, it was her ability to go to him with hard questions and just how she is me and Solomon is heavenly parents. This dualism with a king and wisdom, which we know wisdom is a female word in Hebrew. So, and wisdom literature, which we've talked about on our podcast. I'm just seeing myself in this story now and in the temple, and in being happy, and then asking, not being afraid to ask. So I think that's why it's there. It's to empower women. And all of the unnamed women's stories do that. (laughs) And then as I was reading this, I was thinking about a little eight-year-old Mandy who went to her dad and said, where are the women in scripture? (laughs) Can you imagine if your dad had said, well, let me tell you about this lady and gone straight to first. Oh, where was the, I think I was five, actually. Where was the Queen of Sheba when I was five? (laughs) Right? Right? Yes. Like, that's the story we're telling little kids. So when I get to teach this in primary, because I'm the primary music lady, I'm incorporating this story. We are talking about the Queen of Sheba because it does. It empowers little girls for sure. Yeah. We should do that. Everyone should go visit primary this week. Go tell the story. <laughs> tell the kids. Ask hard questions. It's okay. Yeah, There has to be space for that. So, I don't know if it ties in well, but I was thinking as you were talking about the woman at the well and when Christ came, she didn't just... She asked him hard questions too. 
I feel like she didn't just sit there and just hear what he had to say, but she asked him questions too. And, and then through those questions learned that he was the Messiah that she knew was going to come. And then after that, she was like brave enough to go and tell everyone about him. When before she was like getting water at her well alone. And so it just reminded me of her too a similar parallel that we can ask those hard questions with the right in the right setting with the right person and and learn of Christ that way. Oh my gosh, Taylor. I love that you just brought that up because when you just said then she went to her village and told people, I was just now looking in 1 Kings chapter 10 verse 13 when the queen of Sheba says, so she returned and went to her own country, she and her servants. And I wondered, that's the rest of the story I need to know. Did she go back to her land and start teaching people about this Lord, this God of Israel? I wonder if she had the same experience. Oh, I can't wait to find out. That's awesome. I love that you're connected that to the woman at the well. That's a good connection. That was really good. Well, thank you, ladies. Thanks for joining me. Thank that you was so much. Awesome, Thanks incredible, for having us. Such a good discussion on the Queen of Sheba. Now, if you want to listen to more of our Unnamed Women series, we have an episode all about Pharaoh's daughter and the women of Moses' life. You can find that episode on Apple Podcasts and on ldsliving.com slash Sunday on Monday. If you want to hear more about Sunday on Monday and our Come Follow Me lessons, you can go sign up for a free 30-day subscription at deseretbook.com slash Sunday on Monday. The Sunday on Monday Unnamed Women and the Old Testament bonus series is brought to you by LDS Living. It was written and hosted by me, Tammy Uzalak Hall, and our producers for this episode were Katie Lambert and me. It was mixed and mastered by Mixset 6 Studios, and our executive producer is Aaron Hallstrom. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode, and please remember, everyone, that you are God's favorite.